welcome to the Defender Podcast, a resource to help mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm your host, Herbie Newell. Hey everybody, it's February 28th, 2024. I'm Rick Morton, and this is the Defender Podcast. Well, we've got an opportunity today um, that we're going to be sharing with you an interview that Herbie and I did several weeks ago with Zach Coffin. Uh, Zach came and spent some time with our staff here um, talking about issues of gender and sexuality and a biblical perspective on that and and just about the ways that we can think about how to negotiate those things, um, not just in our culture, but also um, in our own families as parents and um, and, and the way that we, we deal with those things even in our churches. And so Zach had some really beneficial thoughts and counsel for us, and we can't wait to share that with you in the interview that we did with him. Before we get there, we're going to talk a little bit. We want to talk to you a little bit about parent coaching and counseling. Lifeline desires to support families through various parenting stages and challenges. Our parent coaching team equips parents with tools and techniques to encourage connection while navigating parenting struggles. For more therapeutic needs, our counseling team offers child, teen, and adult marriage and family therapy. Um, You can explore a wide range, our wide range of services, uh, and discover how Lifeline can provide guidance and support for your family needs. Um, To learn more about counseling and parent coaching services or to request an appointment, uh, you can visit lifelinechild.org backslash support. Um, or you can also go to our show notes to find that information, but that's lifelinechild.org backslash support. Or you can check the show notes to find out more about how you might be able um, to avail yourselves of our parent coaching and our counseling services um, and those services that are coming uh, filtered through a biblical worldview. And so without further ado, I don't, don't want to hold things up. I just want to get to the interview that Herbie and I were able to, to do with Zach Coffin a few weeks ago uh, here in Birmingham in our, in our podcast studio. I um, want to share with you a little bit about who Zach is and then jump right into the interview. And so here we go. So as we mentioned, we are here with Reverend Zach Coffin and so grateful to have Zach in the office. And he has been with us today just uh, helping our team think through how do we deal with all of these tough topics in culture and really even with this whole idea of how do we live uh, in culture with a distinctively Christian worldview? How do we how do we thrive in culture uh, while continuing to strive to follow the Lord? And so before we hear from Zach, I do want to just give you uh, uh, an extensive background. He's been pastoring since he was 19 years old and preaching since he was 16 years old. And he has a background in ministry and leadership, and he served in various capacities, including a, as children's pastor, youth pastor, and next-gen pastor, and churches of all sizes across the country. And so you can see why we're excited to have Zach on the Defender podcast, because he has dealt with not just ministering to children and youth and the next gen, but as that comes with equipping parents to care for children and students, which is the greatest role of a, of a children's and a student pastor. Also, Zach has served as the director of next gen ministries for the Wesleyan church world headquarters. And he just empowers individuals and churches to embrace a Holy Spirit led life and ministry. And it's evident through his passionate teaching and thought provoking teachings and present driven coaching. And I'll just say for one, uh, I had the opportunity to hear Zach at the Christian Alliance for Orphans and uh, the way in which he weaved along a very biblical, godly, Holy Spirit led theology with yet yet having a a posture um, and uh, a love for each other. It's that tension between love and truth uh, that Jesus said, speak the truth in love. Uh, He also has bachelor's degrees in Christian ministry and Christian education from Indiana Wesleyan University, a master's degree in pastoral theology from Kingswood University, and his final project focusing on living for revival. In 2022, Zach received the Distinguished Alumni Award from Indiana Wesleyan University for his contribution to the next generation and ministry. And Zach and his wife, Becca, love teaching people and how to live intimacy-driven lives and to love to pray over people. Uh, They live mostly uh, in uh, Florida, 
And that's where they make home base now, just moving there to Indiana. But they also love to travel the country uh, and and really to equip the church. They've been married for 16 years and have two young daughters. And of course, if you want to connect with Zach now or even after this podcast, you can always reach him at ZachCoffin.com or at ZCoffin on all your popular social media places. Well, I know for the Defender podcast, this is the time that people really do get used to and get ready for and they're excited about. And it's when we get to bring on the silver haired one, the one with the uh, the tongue that just keeps going, the venerable Dr. Rick, the author and promulgator of so much content. Dr. Rick, I know you've been blessed by the time we've been able to spend with Zach on phone calls a couple of weeks ago when he first addressed our staff. And then of course, today, as we've been able to spend the day together. Yeah, Herbie, I, you know, this is a topic and and what we're going to delve into today is um, quite frankly, something we're all wrestling with and we're all um, you know, we're all, we're all working through. And one of the things I've just really appreciated about Zach is um, his, his careful theology in the midst of what he does. And so there's, there's a, there's a, a, a view of God that's really important and really significant to the things that he says, but also just um, he's, he's very much attuned to the things that are that are happening in culture and and where those things are happening with young people because we know culture really is kind of built um, from from what's happening mm-hmm. with the you know the kids around us and um, as you know somebody that lived in that world and you know taught youth ministry for mm-hmm. a couple of decades um, it's it's really easy to step away from that and and not you know not really be on the front line and and really understand and so it's a it's a pretty serious effort <laughs> to continue to stay up with this stuff and and continue to stay with it and I love um, just the way that that Zach weaves those those two things together um, and and so we're gonna man we're just gonna jump right in so Zach first of all welcome to the oh, Defender thanks. Podcast we're glad you're here um, it's it's cool to have you in in the flesh here in Birmingham <laughs> and so we're actually here in the studio together and that. That's uh, that's a that's a pretty fun thing that that we uh, we're getting to do and uh, and we're going to spend the day together in a number of different ways. But one of the things we wanted to do is just sit down and mm-hmm. and really kind of do something for uh, our families yeah. and for kind of for our tribe. And so, man, thanks for thanks for jumping in with us. Oh my goodness, so so honored to be with you guys and so thankful for the work that you guys are doing. And um, obviously, with doing kids and youth ministry for so long and loving families, like this is this is the center of the target stuff. I mean. Yeah. The Lord cares deeply for families, and uh, I'm 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 thankful to be with you guys, and excited for our conversation. Yeah, you know, we've known for a long time that um, that young people, children, and 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 students yeah. um, are so important. And we've heard all that stuff about you know if a if a child you know isn't following Jesus by the time they're you know, 13 or 18 and all those kind of things about the importance of, of childhood. But we also know that, um, that the enemy and every other factor in society knows that as well. Mm -hmm. And, and so with what you do, um, you're, you know, you're kind of seeing the front line of the conversation and the things that are going on Mm -hmm. in culture about, you know, about gender and sexuality. And, uh, and I think the, the, the worldviews that are prevalent out there, the different, the different messages that our kids are receiving, but also the things that we're, that we're getting. Hmm. And so I, you know, I'd love it if we could just jump off and, and talk about, um, the, how we as believers can, can really begin to have, um, substantive, solid, maybe even hard conversations mm-hmm. um, around subjects of gender and, and sexuality in, in ways that are, that are seasoned with grace yes. um, and in ways that smack of, of like the character of our Lord. Absolutely. Well, I think what you just highlighted is, is really the bedrock for this, is that at the center of all these things is, is the character of God and we're operating at this very character of God. And so, so one thing that I love to talk about in this conversation is is kind of these three words of position, posture, and practice. Because I think that's where, if we can get some bedrock foundation of, of language, it helps us launch in the conversation. So just for really quickly here, position is what we believe. So everybody knows what we believe. So we're clear on what we believe, all those things. Posture is how other people experience us. And then practice is when we put our position and our posture 
into practice. The challenge is, is that we as humans are wired mm -hmm. lots of times wired right. in ways, right? So like some of us are, are position first people. Mm -hmm. And so we know what we believe. We're strong on what we believe. And that's, that's how we operate. Some of us are posture first people. We're, we're like love and grace are, are kind of the primary way that we, we exercise those things. The challenge comes is when we're a position person and we immediately put that into practice, especially on a topic like this, it can come off as harsh and mm. challenging, right? Like we all, like <laughs> I was, you guys heard me say it earlier today. It's like, we all know who the position people are in our right. lives. <laughs> like you just don't have to wonder. You, we all know who the position people are. Um, and, and the challenge is if we just take our position and we put that immediately into practice, we may be speaking the truth, but is it actually in love? Mm -hmm. The other thing is if we have a, or if we're a posture person and we immediately put that into practice, sure, we're loving and, and graceful, but do people actually know what we believe? I'm just crazy enough to believe that what the scripture teaches about truth and, and, and grace, posture and position that we, we actually can walk in tandem through the power of the Holy Spirit, holding a biblical Christian sexual ethic, a strong position, while also walking compassionately in empathy and meeting people where they are with a, with a God-centered, loving posture, putting those two things into practice. And I think that really helps us as we're engaging this conversation to be able to go, let's, let's explore what God actually says with both the position and posture and walk that out in all humility and love and grace. You know, and I think if you look throughout the gospels, that's exactly what Jesus did. Absolutely. You know, and I think a lot of your strong posture people who aren't position people like to look and say, well, Jesus was just loving. He was just kind. He loved everyone. And yes, his posture was always of love and grace and mercy, but he never shied away from speaking truth. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think of, and it didn't happen a lot, but the rich young man that comes to him mm -hmm. and Jesus is loving, he's kind, but he speaks truth. And he knows, I mean, he knows that this young man is not going to accept those things, but he still speaks the truth in great love. And you even see when the disciples are like, hey, what just happened there, right? That that there's there's hurt, there's pain in, in the Messiah that this man is so tied up in his possessions that he couldn't come and give his life to Christ. So you know, I, I love what you've said, and that's one of the reasons I really wanted you to influence and speak and come talk to our staff, not just for them, but also as they disciple families, as right. they disciple children and women. Mm -hmm. Like, how do we how do we stand true on that bedrock truth and yet also be loving? And and I think you're right. And even organizationally, as we're trying to be different as a ministry, right. We want to stand on truth where people know who we are and what we stand for, but we want to be so countercultural to what they expect. Yeah. They expect us to be harsh right. and and repelling, yeah. but in, instead we're loving and kind and graceful without compromising the truth. And that's hard to do. It is hard to do. And I think I think part of part of what I hope people hear today is like, yes, it is hard. But yes, the Holy Spirit will empower us to actually walk out the fullness of the gospel in, in all of those arenas. Like we That's don't right. have to be fearful of the culture around us. Right. We actually can, you know, the phrase that I use often is like, we can actually thrive in Babylon. Mm -hmm. Like we live in a, in a Babylon type society that every, you know, everywhere you look, um, there's challenges around. And this was so evident to me a few years ago, which is where a lot of the, a lot of this the teachings and stuff that I, I teach now came from a conversation as I was traveling the country and people were hearing, you know, they, mm. I, that I had kids and stuff. I would have people come up to me after mm. I preached um, and they'd be like, Oh, I'm so sorry <laughs> that you have kids today. I can't imagine raising kids today, you know? And I'm like, here I am, you know, I've got, you know, at the time, you know, my kids are like four and one. And so we're just in the throes of no sleep. Mm. You guys know, I mean, you guys are yeah. those days. It's like, Oh my goodness. And if you're a parent, and you're listening to this podcast and you're not <laughs> sleeping, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he provide rest for you. I, I know those days well. But I, I was having these people come up to me after I was preaching and they were just challenged like, oh, I'm so sorry. I can't imagine raising kids today. And I like, you know, first I was like, well, thank you for that encouragement. That's super helpful. Um, and but but I, as I was asking the Lord about this, because, I, I, you know, thinking about my kids, the Lord gave me this phrase. He goes, Zach. I will teach your family, I will teach your kids how to thrive in Babylon. Mm. And it completely changed how I was parenting and it completely changed how I was viewing um, culture, that it was no longer 
um, you know, primarily an adversary to overcome, but mm. I actually could look at culture as a mission field again. Mm. I didn't have to be scared for my kids. I could actually look at culture as a mission field and that the Lord would actually empower me and my family to thrive in a foreign land, in a foreign culture that I didn't have to be fearful anymore. Yeah. And I think I love even what you've taught out of, out of Daniel. Mm. And there's a, there's a, there's another letter that Paul writes the church at Ephesus. That's extremely similar in a culture, right? The Ephesians had the temple of Artemis. We talked even you know, with our staff about Nebuchadnezzar's statue and the the expanse of that statue. Yeah. Well, this temple, the goddess Artemis, was was ginormous. It was huge, and it pervaded the city. The city was one of just complete pagan. But yet, when Paul first greets the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter one, he says to them, you know, to the saints who are in Ephesus, who are faithful in Christ, they were standing faithful in Christ amongst the pagan world. And of course, in verse two, he says, grace and peace to you from the Lord, our Lord and Jesus Christ. The scary thing is take what Paul wrote to this church from a jail in Rome right. to what then 30 years later, John the Revelator is saying to that same church where he says, I have this against you. You've abandoned the love that you first had. And I, I think, and that, that would be my question to you, Zach. I think when you do hear parents or even when older, sweet believers come and say, how can so you, well so right. well intended, <laughs> right. so how well. can you raise kids in this generation? I think what they're really getting at is how can we still be faithful? You know, how do we, how do we live in this world and the nuances of this world? How are we different and set apart and yet also uh, thriving, as you say, and in this culture, talk a little bit about just the challenges of, of also not forgetting our first love. Cause we want to make sure that, that we, we are true in, in the word of God and who God calls us to be. Absolutely. So, for me, you know, just to unpack a little bit of, of, of that Daniel story and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I think it's important. They give us such a good model of what it looks like to thrive in Babylon. Because again, putting that story in context, the Israelites are in exile, mm. which is a fancy word for saying they were in slavery. They're in a foreign land, mm-hmm. being taught foreign culture and all those types of things. And yet, you know, fast forward through the story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are trained in the ways of Babylon, and yet thrive and are put in positions of power and when their faith is tested continue to stand firm Mm -hmm. and so again if you know being good bible scholars you know they're probably around 20 years old or so uh when they uh when they have the nebuchadnezzar builds his his big statue and they have to to be challenged in that way there's such a good example to me of here they are they're aware of the culture they've been raised in the culture um, literally are put in positions of power, can lose it all. But yet because of they've watched Daniel's example, because they're faithful uh, and have experienced that faithfulness, they still, in the midst of that challenge, stand up against Nebuchadnezzar and are willing to put it all on the line, mm. which for me says, okay, there is a way that I can, I, I don't have to be fearful of the culture and I can actually raise my family or bring kids into my family mm-hmm. and trust that God's going to empower me and teach me how to, thrive in this culture, which again, I think part of that comes back to first actually believing that culture is not some, is not necessarily the ultimate adversary, but is the mission field. Mm. When I look at culture and I, and, and as, as a place for me to spread the gospel and be, and, and to show people who Jesus is, all of a sudden my fear begins to melt and I can actually think clearly. Mm. We all, we all know, I mean, we all know the science behind fear, what happens to our brains, the chemicals that are released when we're operating out right. of fear, all those things. It fight or flight kicks in, all that mm. stuff. It's hard for me to make good decisions when I'm looking at culture from a standpoint of fear. Right. Mm. It changes when I can look at culture as a place to engage and trust that God will en- enable me and my family to engage the culture in a winsome way so that the gospel can be preached. All of a sudden, I'm not fearful of the culture. Mm. I can actually engage in a way and trust God with my whole family. Well, part of the problem, I think, is is we most of us grew up in a world where the perception was that the culture slanted toward being a believer. Like it was like the culture was like doing part of the job of discipling us. And 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 we didn't we didn't see culture as an adversary. Um, We we didn't see it as we saw it as a really positive factor on on some level. And 
And it's and that's not like the first century. That's not like that's right. the 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 yeah. world that you know that the scriptures were being written into, mm-hmm. and and so I think you know rightly you're helping us just kind of take a step back and say um, culture is just the environment, right? Like it's just the it's just the place yeah. that we get to do this, and how it influences isn't necessarily. Um, you know, even even the question. But one of those fundamental things that I think uh, we have to focus on and something we talk a lot about here and um, talk a lot about at Lifeline is just the idea of bearing the image of God, what it means mm. to be, mm. you know, created in the image of God and and the whole concept of the Imago Dei. And, and so I think when when we have that right view of being created in the image of God, how does that, how does that really inform the way that we step into issues of gender and sexuality and and all of those things? Because I think, I think that's one of the things that people have a huge question mark about because, because our culture does send a message that gender and sexuality is the central thing mm-hmm. about who you are. Yeah. Um, and, and that's just contrary to yeah. what the Bible says about who we are. And mm-hmm. so like, what's the counsel that you give mm-hmm. to moms and dads that are trying to help their, their kids sort that out and, and, you know, live well with the right understanding of who they are created in the image of God. Mm-hmm. That's really good. Because again, at the core, we're talking about, core identity right? Yeah, right where does core identity come from and as believers we do believe that core identity isn't all of the other things that core identity is rooted in the fact right. that in the beginning god created spoke into being took adam from the dust mm-hmm. uh fully took adam mm-hmm. from the dust, physical being breathed you know the ruha is what the right. Text says, right? <laughs> it's a fun word breathed life into adam and there's this incredible moment where the physical and and the and God breathes the spirit into Adam and and Adam comes to life mm-hmm. and is an image bearer that he literally that, that the physical body gives testimony uh, to who God is right. in the created order and so God like other things can speak about God but there's only one thing the physical body that actually speaks mm-hmm. that speaks and, and displays who God is right. to uh, creation, and this is what's so this is what's so profound to me about this image. Culture is trying to to separate us from our physical mm-hmm. bodies right now. Culture is trying to tell us that our physical bodies can't be trusted. Mm-hmm. That it's what's inside that counts most. You know, for those of you who are like that are you know know that it's like a neo gnosticism, right? Like it's, it, it, again, gnosticism has <laughs> been all throughout the scripture. This is the right. first time the church has dealt with gnosticism, and by gnosticism meaning that it's you know the spirit and physical are separate. Um, you know, kind of that Descartes, you know, I think, therefore I am is kind of mm-hmm. the way I like to talk about it. But in the beginning, God created us in his image. And by Adam physically walking on this earth and us physically walking on this earth, that that my physical body gives testimony and people can experience who God is by the by my physical body, me bearing image to that. So not only can our bodies be trusted, God at the end, if you look in the text, at the beginning, he has a synopsis, a synopsis statement that our bodies are, are very good, that everything he's created up to this point is very good. And so for me, it changes how I look at my kids. Mm-hmm. No longer, and we get this with saying life stuff, right? right? Like we get this, but I, again, I want right. to I want to push us even further to go, you know, and you guys do this so well. It's like saying life stuff isn't just about in the womb, it's outside of the womb. And so as well, it's whole, 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 whole body, whole, whole body care things. And when I look at my children, I don't just see a physical creation that's walking in the earth. I see someone who's bearing the image of God. Mm. That changes how I how I view my children. Mm. It's not just a clump of, of cells. I just I right. chance they're like like my my oldest daughter gives testimony uniquely to who God is by the way that she walks out her life. Right. And not, it, it 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 just it blows my mind. And especially when you fast forward that Jesus came fully physical. Right. And so when you think about Jesus coming fully physical, that here we are, physical sin has to be paid for. Jesus comes fully physical, fully God, fully man. And let's be good theologians here for a minute. Christ lived a physical life. Christ lived fully Mm -hmm. physical, perfectly. Christ died a physical death. Christ physically rose from the dead. Christ physically ascended into heaven. And even now, Christ is physically physically seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly places. That's right. Now, it's hard for us to get our minds around that. And we can talk about that very ethereally. Like, woo, it's like, no, no, (laughs) 
Jesus has never once given up his physical body, right. which changes how I view my physical body, which changes how I view my, my, my gender, my sexual, all those things. When I put that under submission of Jesus, even now being mm. fully physical, mm-hmm. it completely changed that because what's Christ going to do? Christ is going to return for his bride, the church, Definitely. and we're going to have a physical resurrection, That's right. which it, it completely changes that no longer is my body something to be overcome. No longer is my body something to, to be despised. My body is to be cherished. And, and cared for and celebrated because God has knitted me together in my mother's womb from the very beginning of time. And at the end of the day, our feelings can't be trusted in places, right? Like we, like what we feel is about those things is is it, it's it's marred by the curse of sin. It's marred by the brokenness of the world around us, and. You know, we have to tell ourselves in all kinds of places in life that that the things that I feel mm. may not necessarily be, you know, be true. Right. And so, I yeah, I love the fact that, um, you know, just unpacking a, a biblical theology of of who we are physically um, points to such an incredible greater truth about, you know, about Christ and about the gospel. Well, and I think what it helps is too on the physical side, because that a lot of what I just said was a lot of position, right? Like we're putting it in context. A lot of what I just said is about a lot of position. But I think what's so profound about the physicality of the gospel is that when we're actually living incarnational, mm-hmm. it actually with our posture is how we express right. the very gospel we live. Right. So when we are parenting our kids or we have foster kids that come into our home or we're adopting all those things, the gospel becomes a very physical thing that we that that people experience That's right. with how we interact with them. And so, especially with, with, you know, and I know, oh man, it can be so overwhelming at times, you know, you know, we've all heard the stories, you know, people, a foster kid comes in who may believe differently than we do all those things. And we can feel all this pressure as a foster parent to mm-hmm. fix the kid in the moment. And mm-hmm. by the time they leave my house in the next <laughs> three days or three weeks or what, if maybe it's a longer yeah. placement that we just need to, you know, we need to, we need to fix mm. whatever it, you know, we use fixed language, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, well, let's slow down for a second. What does it look like for us to live incarnationally and love these kids so well? We do not have to worry about forfeiting mm-hmm. our positions right. when we exercise our posture. We know what we believe. So when we're able, again, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to ask the Holy Spirit on how do we provide a safe, loving environment for mm. these, these kids in our homes to both operate a, a, a strong biblical position, but in such a posture that fully and equally too shows the very incarnation of who mm. Jesus is with love and grace and mercy and patience. And you know, I shared this with you guys this morning. It, it hit me freshly last night as on the plane that first Corinthians 13, it says love is patient. Right. Patient in our English language, I think is such a, a weak word to what is actually going on in that moment. In the text, the, the word patience in the text, actually a better translation is like, is a uh, suffering long or long suffering mm-hmm. loves suffering long with love. When I'm suffering long with love in those moments, all of a sudden uh, my love is no longer on a timeline. Right. Of uh, Like, I don't feel like I'm on, under a shot clock mm-hmm. because it can feel that way when we have quick placements, you know, all mm-hmm. these different things. I, mm-hmm. I even, even, even with my, my, bi- my biological kids, I can feel that I'm on a shot mm-hmm. clock. Oh, I've only got so many years left until they go to college. Mm-hmm. And I think giving ourselves permission to remove the shot clock, and walk fully in the love and grace of Christ, trusting that over time, as we're faithful, we, we're going to be able to show them who Jesus is, both with our word, but maybe even more importantly, with our actions. as well. Mm-hmm. So I totally agree with everything you said, but let me let me parse something, though, because this is one of the reasons that I really like what you do is I, I think a lot of people do know their position, mm-hmm. but they know it from a, I know what I'm against, not right. why I'm, what am I for? Yeah. And one of the right ways that I've really liked that you unpack it is it's not, Hey, let's go find those verses that Paul <laughs> slips in homosexuality <laughs> or, you know, yeah, let's slip in those where, you know, let's debate. Well, but yeah, he also put lying right there, but going back to the root of saying, we believe what we do about human sexuality yep. because he made them male and female. Right. We believe, and, and, and that's the thing I think 
even as Christians, we can get so tripped up on mm. is looking for a prescriptive, what am I against in the Bible, as opposed to having a solid theology to go, if God is immutable, if he is consistent, if he is sovereign, if he is good, if he is holy, and he's saying this is the way things are, yeah. then anything against that right. is, Absolutely. It, it, So, but we've got to know who God is. 100%. We've got to know who we are. And that's one of the ways I, I just, I love I love that so much, and I think we need to remind parents as well, we don't need to just tell our children, hey, as a Christian, this is what we're against, but this is why we believe what we believe. This is a right thinking about God. This is a good theology about God. And so, again, I agree with you. I just might tease out. I think some people don't have a good theology on who God is. They just know what God is against. Yeah, and I think that's where... We have to, part of, I think, in this conversation, we have to be willing to take a step back and relearn some of that theology mm. that's been so lost. Mm-hmm. Because we, again, I think a lot of it's rooted in that fear. We're so scared of all of these different things that we need to peel back. And so, I mean, if you if you go all the way back to Genesis and you look at the Imago Day of us being created in the image of God, that in itself ascribes value Mm -hmm. to our physical bodies. It Mm -hmm. ascribes deep value to who we are. And then God goes ahead and he he gives us two things. He says, you have dominion over the created order order and dominion. That word, it's easy for us to think dominate versus care. It's much more Mm -hmm. of a care Mm -hmm. word than it is a domination word. Um, And then he also says to to be fruitful, multiply, Mm -hmm. to procreate, which again, how does that happen? Male and female. So from the very beginning of time, it, Mm -hmm. it, it puts again value and order in that. So why? Is male and female matter? Because again, that prescribe that gives us great insight into marriage. That that mm-hmm. that male and female is designed for marriage. So again, it when we take all the way back to the beginning, we don't even have to get into all the things That's that right. we're against because That's we right. have to reclaim this theology of our bodies that that actually, you know, I, I say it this way sometimes. It's like I will be able to recognize everyone in heaven because they're they're not forfeiting their physical bodies. Mm-hmm. That's right. Christ himself is now physical, right. which gives us great hope and great meaning of the value uh, of our physical bodies even now, which then again allows us to be very positive about what, what our bodies are for versus all the things that we're against. And so we have to be able to recalibrate and not live in fear. Because sometimes I think even we live in fear of sin. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and, sure. and yes, fear should be or sin should provoke fear in us. But if we are believers and we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit actually lives inside of us. Right. Again, we talk about that very like, woo, you know, mm-hmm. when actually if the Holy Spirit really lives inside of us, that actually means that what we think is going to change. We, we, we don't we don't mind talking about the Holy Spirit and, and the and the physical power when we come to healing. Like we've seen like people have seen physical healings happen. I've, I've seen physical mm-hmm. healings happen where mm-hmm. physical bodies actually change. Right. Neurological pathways mm-hmm. like how are people mm-hmm. different people overcome addiction at different times? Their neurological pathways are changing. Mm-hmm. Right. The science behind it. Right. We didn't know. It. We used to know the science. So we get okay with understanding the Holy Spirit does those things. And I just think, man, what does it look like for us to celebrate and affirm that the Holy Spirit's going to shape us, heart, mind, soul, and body, so that we can live a holistic life and not just mm-hmm. cherry pick things, but really go, man, God created us, created us good in the beginning. Yes, sin has marred it, but God's been on a mission to redeem those things ever since the beginning of time because our physical bodies were made good. Yeah, and I think even going back to to the beginning in the Exodus, God gives that exhaustive list of things <laughs> for the tabernacle to Moses, and and it's you know, and that's where Bible reading plans go to die. All the different <laughs> purple and scarlet. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yarn and you know, yeah, that's right. But as prescriptive as that was to Moses. What's so beautiful is that it is our body that becomes the temple of the living God. Right. We are the tabernacle. We are the temple. And so as believers, when we realize even the sanctity of life is so much more, like you said, yes, the sanctity of life means we defend life in the womb and we fight for life in the womb and we stand against abortion. But why do we stand against abortion? Because we believe there's a tabernacle inside of that woman Absolutely. that can one day be the dwelling place of God. And we fight for that life because it's the tabernacle of of the living God. And so I I love that. And, and where, what are ways that parents, because again, I don't want to assume that parents are coming with an, a true biblical understanding of 
personhood mm. of the Imago Day, because I think we do throw around that image of God right, right. whenever we want to use it as a talking point again against abortion. Right. But we don't really see how that helps us in marriage. You know. Yeah. I, and I loved even today. You're so right. Uh, my wife and I have had very, 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 very few fundamental disagreements. As a matter of fact, I cannot even think of one <laughs> fundamental disagreement that we've had by God's grace. When it comes to what we believe and what we think needs to happen, we we agree on the end yeah. and we agree on the beginning. It's the middle part yeah. of how we get there yeah. and how we carry it out. But we're made differently. And at times she needs to win because she understands the heart of our children much better than I do. Sometimes I need to win yeah. because I get the heart of our children in that particular issue so yeah. much better. And again, that goes all the way back to the image of God, yep. a part of God's image placed upon the female and a part of God's unique image yeah. of his character placed in males that work in loving harmony. We've got to go back to that theology. What are some ways that maybe if someone's listening to this and goes, I don't really know that I have that. Mm. What, what would you say is the easiest way for them to get that when so many of our churches aren't teaching it? Cause we're only teaching about the sanctity of life and the image of God one time a year on sanctity of life mm. Sunday. Yes. Yeah, so if, if at all. Yeah. <laughs> so a few things I would say is like, I would, I would really encourage people to go back to the text in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 and really read the creation stories again and pay attention hmm. to where, where humanity fits in hmm. and humanity's role in that. Because I think it's easy, again, to undervalue what God did in the creation story hmm. and because if, if, we're, if we're missing out on the unique design of God placing his image in a physical form, in a physical world, mm. it's going to be really hard for us to get into, into these other places. And so, again, going back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3, looking, about, looking through that. And then if you take that, and again, just a little Bible study stuff, then you can look at the way that Christ lived his life. Again, Jesus being fully God, fully man. The physicality of that, that Jesus came incarnate in the flesh to demonstrate and pay for sin physically. We talk about Jesus, Jesus's physical death, but what about Jesus's physical life and how he displayed the kingdom of God as he walked the earth? And, and then again, him being the second Adam, good theology phrase, calls us back to Eden again to remind us that that's our design as well. Mm -hmm. And so you're able to walk through that. Then you come to the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter two, and the Holy mm -hmm. Spirit comes and we become the dwelling place of God, no longer just mm. Jesus walking with us, but the Holy Spirit living inside of us. It, and then you push that forward mm -hmm. to the great marriage feast when Christ returns for his bride. You can see from the very beginning of time this woven narrative of, of, of the importance mm. of our physical existence and our physical world that Jesus is, that God has been on a mission to redeem from mm. the very beginning, which again, that and puts value in me, puts value in, kids, puts value in all those around me. And it get, and especially it helps me too. just to call this out. It helps me value people that disagree with me mm. because they are also image bearers. Mm -hmm. They're not, you're not just an image bearer of God because you said yes to Jesus. You're an image bearer <laughs> of God because you are a physical human being that was created. So it helps me love people well mm. when we disagree significantly on things and helps me put my posture in a way to love them well, um, even when it gets really, really hard. So Zach, I want to press into that just a little bit mm -hmm. because one of the things that just really kind of captivated my thoughts a little bit even this morning when you were talking is, is that idea of suffering long. Yeah. And yeah, we're not good at that in America. Right. Well, and, and, and at the, <laughs> is, is that another podcast? Right, right, right. It is. It's, <laughs> like it's, it's a, it's a whole nother hour, but, Seriously. but part of the, part of the thing about, you know, about long suffering is, um, is in those relationships where we don't agree, where, where mm -hmm. somebody's making profoundly, you know, cho choices yeah. that are profoundly contrary Absolutely. to the scriptures. Um, and, and so we're pressured to, to, conform. Mm -hmm. We're we're pressured to 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 lay down the disagreement rather than yeah. to to suffer long in those relationships where we keep keep biblical truth yeah. embraced, but we also stay present and love yeah. people well. 
Just man, unpack yeah, that a little so bit. I don't think we can suffer love. I don't think we can love soft. <laughs> I don't think we can suffer long with love until we actually grieve. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And here's what I mean by that. This has been true in my life. I I I was never taught to grieve. I was never taught how real grief is. Like I grew up in the house and here's the thing. I love my parents deeply. They love Jesus. You know what I mean? <laughs> so many ways. I had a really, really great childhood and all those type of things. But sorry, mom and dad, grief was not allowed <laughs> in our home. And so like the idea of actually having loss, like what I was taught from the beginning is, okay, you have loss. Everybody loses. Keep going. Push hard. Mm-hmm. What that didn't allow me to do is actually yeah. feel the emotions around that grief. So, so what ended up happening is I was actually never able to fully love something because I never fully had experienced the loss of it. Mm-hmm. And for anybody who's experienced trauma or long grief, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Right. It's like, I can't show up whole, whole if I've never actually grieved what I've lost. That's right. And so here's what I would encourage for our parent, for our parents out there as a, for coming from another parent who's experienced great loss and great grief and a family who's experienced great trauma and great grief is in the same way we expect God to show up and empower us to love. God will show up and help you to grieve. Mm. He will show up in your grief. He will teach you how to grieve. He will teach you where he was in the midst of those circumstances and grieve those things and grieve those losses. And what I found to be true, I mean, it changed for me when I read Matthew chapter five and the Beatitudes. Like, I I want to call a couple things out in the Beatitudes just just really, really quickly here, because I think it'll help kind of put into context here um, a couple of these phrases. Like, why would God say, blessed are the poor in spirit? And theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for the inherent the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemaker. I think in our Americanized gospel, we're like, blessed are the strong. Mm. Blessed are the courageous. Mm. Blessed are those that take the mountain. Like we, this is what we bring to the table with, with these topics is this idea. And I go, no, 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 no. What I read in the gospels is that God shows up his greatest in my grief and in my pain. And that's what I've experienced to be true in my life is in my deepest, darkest, most challenging moments, that that's when I've experienced the presence of God the greatest. And I think when I allow to grieve that, all of a sudden, long suffering isn't just a challenge to overcome. It's a place where I can experience God's grace uniquely, where through the power of his spirit, he empowers me to live out his gospel differently in the valley than on the mountain. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that's especially true with our children when they're making decisions that aren't decisions that, like you, 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 everybody who's listening, you, you know, this, the circumstance that's coming to your mind right now. And I just want to encourage you to first just grieve the loss of that, because when you allow yourself to grieve that you invite God into the grief of that, you're going to allow yourself to experience the presence of God in long suffering in ways that you never even mm. possible. Because all of a sudden you make room for his healing soul to come and feel that place and fill that gap. Amen. Even thinking on grief and and bringing all of these topics back together, you know, one of the things, and and there's so many hard things that as parents we face today Hmm. that generations before us didn't have to face the specifics, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the attitudes were there. And the, the, many parents appreciate that acknowledgement. Right, right. right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you were dealing with a world of technology oh, that our parents Jesus. didn't have to deal with. We're dealing with a openness of perverse sexuality yeah. that they didn't have to deal with. It was always there. Yeah. It just wasn't. It was It was hidden, not open. And in a lot of ways, and, and I speak for, you know, the Gen Xers in the room that are parents, I know you speak for the millennials in the room that are parents, that we feel like true exiles or immigrants to this new world, uh-huh. right? And and I think in some regards, sometimes what we do, and even as you're speaking, I find myself in that posture, just grieve the way it used to be mm-hmm. to the point that I failed to take the next step in, in yep. the way it is today. Yep. It's, it's looking back at the homeland going... If only we could be there again, instead of going, that's not my reality today, but I still have to be faithful in the Lord. However, I think what's so scary is that in a lot of ways, our kids have grown up in this culture to an extent that they're citizens of this culture. And they're not, they're not immigrants. 
They're not exiles. Mm -hmm. They were born into this culture. And so in a lot of ways, they know more about it than we do. Mm -hmm. And yet we're trying to be their guide and their light. So kind of in, in, in closing, as you have ministered to and discipled parents, as you've discipled kids and young people, give some advice to parents of how how can they disciple their kids in a world where their citizens where their kids are citizens yeah. and they're immigrants? So yeah, so one thing I would say is again, for off the bat, we have to decide: Are we going to be fearful of the culture? Mm. Or are we going to actually look at it as a mission field mm. that we that that God has allowed us to thrive in Babylon? Sure. Because that that um, mindset in and of its own will change how we disciple our mm-hmm. kids. If I'm fearful of the culture, I'm going to pull my kids out. I'm going to, I'm going to mm-hmm. put them in a little box because uh, then safety becomes the goal. That's right. And um, if I actually believe that God is going to enable my kids to thrive in Babylon and actually, you know, one thing mm-hmm. I, I tell parents all the time is like, God knew that your parent, your, your kids we're going to be born into this generation and have kingdom <laughs> purpose inside of them to minister to this generation. Mm. In the same way that God knew that Billy Graham was going to be born Amen. to his generation, right. Jonathan Edwards mm-hmm. was going to be gone, Phoebe Palmer, all these different people who were yeah. born in these generations, God knew and called them out uniquely to be uh, uh, disciple makers in that generation. So I think first of all, and we'll get some practical stuff, but first of all, we have to decide as parents that God and acknowledge that God has put inside of each of our kids a kingdom destiny mm. that is our responsibility as parents to shepherd and help them unlock. Mm. Because mm. then all of a sudden, the you know the career choices they make, the school choices they make, all those things, these are not just things that like I'm hope, hoping that they make so that they have a really great life. Like, no, I want my, my kids to make kingdom-centered decisions so that they can live out their kingdom destiny. Kingdom destiny is inside of them. It comes back <laughs> mm-hmm. to the Imago Day. Mm-hmm. Why does the Imago Day matter? Because they're going to give testimony. That's right. To, the, to, to God's character based on how that they live. That's so, right. that would, so mindset, I think, is critical here that we stop being scared of the culture and we actually go like, no, this is a mission field that God has given to my kids for them to actually go out and, and take some ground on uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, a few other practical things I'd say. I think uh, having having conversations if you have little kids having conversations early and often Mm -hmm. like don't you know don't wait till they're older to start having conversations like my daughter came Mm -hmm. home from kindergarten was with uh with um some conversations about uh one of her friends that had two moms it would have been easy for me to to float past that and just like oh just ignore it Mm -hmm. we dove right into it so there's some of those practical things where it's like we need to be more we need to continue to be intentional as parents to dive into those opportunities mm. and not be fearful to dive into those conversations, which again, as parents, some of us talking really practically here, some of us feel like we're behind on this because we are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's okay. Cause here's the thing. The enemy would love nothing more than to you, for you to, to go, Oh, I'm a terrible parent. I'm so behind. I don't know what to do. And to leave you paralyzed. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I'll use your language as an immigrant into this, mm-hmm. this Babylonian culture. Mm. So for some of us as parents, we need to start diving in, doing some reading. There's resource lists that we're working on, uh, you know, that I'm working on with you guys to give some great resources and some books and things like that. Some of us as parents actually just need to, in the same way that we take, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go for it here. So, so y'all hang with me in the same intensity that we run after, um, understanding the statistics of different sports teams or <laughs> the statistics around the stock market or the, or this thing like in the same way we run after those intensities some of us need to up our game on our own personal discipleship so that mm. we have more to hand off to our kids mm-hmm. and so that requires more reading or study all those things now for you for you posture people out some of y'all are feeling super guilty right now you stop it don't you start don't don't start feeling guilty this is an invitation to grow into a deeper place so that you feel better equipped to disciple your kids. Because part of the reason we feel anxious about discipling our kids is we feel so ill-equipped when we've actually never done the work to disciple ourselves. And I think be, doing more self-feeding is going to be really, really helpful. Mm-hmm. The last thing I would say on the, on the how can we take some steps in this way, again, is going, doing some self-reflection and, and saying, okay, do I look at culture as an adversary to overcome mm. or a mission field to embrace? That's right, man. Because if I look at the culture missiologically as a place for my family and my kids and even my home, 
And let me, and I know that with this audience, you all understand more than most that our mission, that our homes are mission fields as well, often with, with, with reaching people. What does it look like for us to be, to, to have a missions minded approach to understanding culture so that we can actually speak the language mm-hmm. in a way that I'm not just going to work and coming home. I'm not just engaging the culture so I can get a paycheck and come home. I'm not just sending my kids mm-hmm. to public school. So, and then that's why I come home, but actually that there's a gospel that it needs to be preached mm-hmm. and, and that's going to be done relationally through the people and mm-hmm. relationships that we have and trusting that as I open up my house and my home, that the gospel is going to be preached and I actually am going to be able to raise up generation upon generation that have been called to minister in this season, in this time, so that we can all thrive in Babylon mm. together. Because what this generation knows is zeal and passion. Mm. You know, we were, us mm-hmm. around this table, we could have one foot in the culture and one foot in the church, and that was celebrated. Right. This generation is either in or out. Right. And think about this just for a second. Gen Z is a bunch of crazy, radical Christ followers. The ones that are really yep. following Jesus, that generation we all look at them and like, wow, they're really crazy. Think about this just for a second. When Gen Z becomes the minister right. of the alphas, that's right. The alphas are going to be that's raised right. by a bunch of radical Gen Zers. Think about what God is setting up. Mm-hmm. So we can be fearful of all oh, the culture, all oh, the church, this, that. Uh, what I see from my seat with the next generation is a bunch of zealous Zs. That's what I call them. I call them the zealous Zs. The zealous Zs who are on fire for the gospel, who are needing mothers and fathers to shepherd them and give them permission to be radicals. And as they're being radicals for Jesus, they're going to raise up these alphas who, who knows what the Lord's want to do with these alphas. So it's like, for me, I can see revival on the horizon. I can see, I can see all types of God moving on the horizon because of these generations that he's setting up. And so there's, there's, and we as spiritual mothers and fathers um, of this generation, we're going to get a front row seat to this and we need, we get to, we get to stand mm-hmm. behind him and push him forward. It's like, go, 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 go pull off the security and safety nets. Let's let's let them be aware of the culture. We don't need to be safe. We need to be aware of the culture and let's push them into, into it so that we can be bold and brave with both our position and our posture and watch what the Lord wants to do in this generation. Yeah. Amen. And I think with that, Persecution and with that difference creates that boldness that we need to ultimately fulfill the Great Commission. And last thing that I would just say as we close, if you want to connect with Zach because you want to get some of that information, again, go to uh, ZachCoffin.com, Z-A-C-H-C-O-F-F-I-N.com. We'll also have it in the show notes to get some of this good information. One of the great pieces of advice that Ashley and I were given as parents on human sexuality is teach the goodness of God in human sexuality before you start to deconstruct it Um, and let and show your kids this is the goodness of God, but just like a fire in a fireplace, it needs to be put in the right setting. Help them see how God's goodness always in the right setting is for their good and his glory. And before we deconstruct and talk about all the ways that we're against, well, God is good. Um, His glory is great. Mm. His gospel is greater. And we just pray that this will be something that will impact, equip your family ultimately to defend the fatherless. Thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Podcast to make it easier for more people to find. For more information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, visit us at lifelinechild.org. If you want to connect with me, please visit herbienewell.com. Follow us at Lifeline on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again next week for the Defender Podcast.